Welcome to Noblesville First Online Worship this September 20th of the year 2020. We are now in the second week of our series, Be the Bridge for Racial Reconciliation. We thank you for joining us and hope that you're participating in one of our discussion groups or at least reading the book on your own. Please join me in our call to worship. We give thanks to the Lord. God's mercy is new every morning. God's strength is poured out on us. Praise be to God, who deals so kindly with us. Amen. Join me in our call to prayer. When our need is deep, you draw near to us in kindness. Hear our prayer, O Lord. You turn weeping into laughter, sorrow into joy, death into life. Hear our prayer, O Lord. In gratitude, we come before you this day to seek your gift of abundant life. Hear our prayer, O Lord. Receive our praise and our prayer this day, for they are offered in the name of Christ our Lord. Hear our prayer, O Lord. Will you now join me in a moment of silent prayer, followed by a pastoral prayer and the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray. Father, we live in such a divided world. We are split in so many different ways, whether 
a race or gender or political affiliation or denomination or religion. And it is so much easier to find ways that we are different, ways to keep us apart, than ways that we are the same. Father, we ask that we fight the fight, God, that we would work to not find the divisions and find the things that separate us, but we would find the common ground. We would locate the places we can work together, that we would be your ambassadors for reconciliation in this world. But we cannot be reconcilers if we will not recognize what has caused the division. In the same way that trying to reconcile to you, God, without in any way recognizing our own sin, leaves that chasm in place. Trying to reconcile with those we have divisions without taking the time to recognize why the division is there will never lead to the healing that needs to happen. Father, we ask that we would just take the time to humble ourselves before you and before those we need to reconcile with. That we would approach them with your love, with your humility, with your grace, with your peace, and begin the ministry of reconciliation that is your ministry for the world, God. We thank you that you have given us an example of what that can be in your son, Jesus Christ, as he came and spent his time developing relationships with those that he should have been broken from. Samaritan women and lepers and the lame and the people that had been left behind, Jesus showed us what it means to be the bridge. And we ask that we would be that bridge today as we pray together the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Godwin, is there something wrong? Godwin, that's the third time I called your name and got no response. Is there something wrong? No. I know something is bothering you, Godwin. Do you want to talk about it? Well, I told my dad a lie yesterday. I talked to him a little while ago, Godwin. He already knows that you lied, but he's waiting for you to confess. He knew it would be much better if you admitted it freely. He, he knew? Yes. Do you remember that magic slate that Octo had? Oh, you mean the one that you could draw on and if you wanted to change it? You just lifted the plastic sheet and it would make the slate clean. Yes, that's the one. Remember when he drew the rabbit and made the tail too long? He just lifted the sheet and it disappeared. Well, that was a neat slate, but what does that have to do with the lie I told my dad 
when you sin, God win. It's something like writing the wrong thing on a magic slate. If you don't do anything about it, it remains there. Yeah, I understand that. But if you repent your sins and confess them to God, God will erase them. Wait, God will do that? Tell both Dad and the Lord what you have told me. Let them know you are sorry and the slate will be clean. Just like Otto yesterday. He said after he lifted up the plastic sheet, this time I'm going to do it right. Well, me too, Olivia. I'm going to do it right. How about you, boys and girls? Have you told a lie, disobeyed, been mean, cheated? Right now, confess to God whatever sin you're aware of in your life and let God wipe the slate clean. God did it for me and God's going to do the same for you, everybody. Bye. Yes, bye, boys and girls. Good morning. We're the Haas family. Our reading this morning is from Extra, chapter 9, verse 5 through 8. At the time of the evening sacrifice, I ended my penitential acts while still wearing my torn clothes and cloak. I fell upon my knees, spread out my hands to the Lord my God, and said, My God, I'm too ashamed to lift up my face to you. Our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has grown to the heavens. From the days of our ancestors to this day, we've been deep in guilt. On account of our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been handed over to the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame, as now the case. But now, for a brief while, the Lord our God has shown favor in leaving us survivors and giving us a stake in his holy place. Our God cheered us and revived us for a little while in our slavery. Last Sunday we started our three-week series called for us to be the bridge of racial reconciliation by declaring the importance of lament in the Bible and how it relates to our challenges today. We shared a few examples of tragedies, tragic acts that against blacks in America that still have repercussions today. Today we're going to focus on confession and our personal responsibility and undoing racial prejudice experience in our society. One of the things I hear a lot when racial tensions are discussed is, why should I feel guilty about racial discrimination of the past? Slavery was practiced in a different time when people were less aware. We can't dwell on the past but should move on. I know I'm not a racist. I was raised to treat all persons equally. And the incidents we hear about are just isolated incidents. Are we just making too big a deal out of all this? Well, I think Latasha Morrison does a very good job in chapter four of her book, Making a Case for Community Confession in the Bible. She explains our Western society is highly individualized and our measure of morality is based on individual guilt or innocence. And in the Bible, you find a different story. Guilt and shame aren't described in such a narrow individualistic sense. In the Bible, guilt and shame are often communal, and they point to the need for corporate repentance. We got a couple examples of that. In the book of Ezra, we read about how the people of Israel had become, had become unfaithful to God. They'd taken up forbidden practices of their neighbors, the Canaanites, the Egyptians, and others. Ezra, a priest and scribe, was personally innocent of the sins that were committed by the people, but he still felt the weight of shame and guilt. He prayed, Oh my God, I am utterly ashamed. I blush to lift up my face to you. 
For our sins are piled higher than our heads, and our guilt has reached to the heavens. Ezra acknowledged and lamented the truth of the sins of Israel. The prophet Daniel also identified with the guilt and shame of his people. In a different time period, in a different situation, Israel had been unfaithful to the Lord, and because of that unfaithfulness, Jerusalem lay in desolation, a desolation that would continue for some 70 years. In both instances, the confessors were personally innocent of the wrongs, but they came under guilt and shame nonetheless. They allowed that shame and guilt to draw them to acknowledge and lament. And in that lament, they asked God to spare his people. So regardless of who is to blame, we are in positions of influence. We have a power that God is calling us to use to resolve the racial inequities that are still present today. I was especially moved by Latasha Morrison's experience at the Whitney Plantation located in Wallace, Louisiana. It is the only museum in Louisiana with an exclusive focus on the lives of enslaved people. The Whitney Pot Plantation was renovated by an influent and affluent New Orleans lawyer named John Cummings. His goal was to acknowledge the shameful history of slave ownership in the South and to honor the slaves who once lived on that plantation. In that interview, he was asked if he felt guilty. He said he didn't feel guilt anymore, that he had moved past the guilt, and though he couldn't do anything to change the injustices of the past, he hoped to change some of the effects of slavery by looking at the truth and owning it. Latasha was surprised by how the guide shared a brutal truth of how slaves were treated like animals often sleeping nearly on top of one another. Men and women were kept in separate quarters even if they were married, and children were often removed from their mothers and sold at a young age. Slaves were frequently beaten, sometimes underfed, as punishment. The guide handed each person a lanyard that they wore around their neck that had a name of an enslaved person on it. The name of Latasha's person was Albert Patterson. She asked them to imagine how our person must have felt as he or she lived on that plantation. To Latasha's relief, the guide held nothing back. Her words offered no softening of the hard edges of truth. Here was a white millennial woman exposing the things her ancestors had done. And there was something powerful about that. She was exposing the truth even though it might bring her shame and guilt. They watched a film that shared the history of that particular plantation. At the time, it was known as Hab Habitation Hedel, the property of one of the largest slave-owning families in Louisiana. In 1860, the Hedel family owned 101 black slaves, each listed on a ledger by name, gender, age, complexion, skill set, and country of origin. They then made their way toward a large bell. The guide explained, this is the calling center, a way to let slaves know when to rise, when to eat, and when to attend a mandatory punishment. Latasha began to think, what did Albert Peterson feel when he heard that bell? The guide shared how the bell was a primary mechanism used to keep slaves in line. And then she paused and looking at each of the persons on the tour, and she invited them to ring the bell in remembrance of the names on their lanyards. 
That is when the emotions came in a rush to Latasha. She wanted to kick the post that held that bell up. She wanted to scream or cry or shout or fight or do anything other than ring it. Instead, she walked over to that post and she grabbed the rope and she rang the bell. And the clear, even tone connected her to that history. Ringing that bell was an act of confession. And confession is a necessary step for our redemption. Just as confession is an essential step in building an appropriate relationship with Jesus Christ, confession of our racial past is a necessary step towards reconciliation. I believe seeing the past and the present through the eyes of persons of color is key to finding the motivation and the inspiration to take effective action that will impact the racial inequities our generation has inherited. To ring that bell and identify with a slave who now has a name causes us to feel the mercy and desire for justice that is the heart of our God. Latasha closes her story by asking, why can't the church do what this plantation does? Let me close my message by sharing my own personal struggle with the idea of white privilege. I think understanding this concept is critical if we're to take this necessary step of confession that can lead to reconciliation. Now, if I don't explain it well, I invite you to consult the Be the Change infographic that was developed by our social justice and advocacy team. It attempts to explain a lot of the racial terminology and concepts that persons might struggle with. You'll find it linked on our website. Now, I must admit, that I've struggled with this concept. The word privilege sounds so elitist. And I look at my own life and I saw the struggles I had in overcoming a difficult childhood with mental illness in my family. And the term just feels like an insult to me. But let me explain it through a personal example. Someone jogged my memory this week of Reverend Charles Hutchinson. He was beloved among the clergy and he was known to us as simply Hutch. He came to Indiana from his home state of Alabama, and he actually walked with Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. He was a great preacher, and he was serving on the cabinet as a district superintendent when it was time for him to come off the cabinet after serving his six-year term. Bishop Leroy Hodap at the time and the cabinet appointed Hutch to Old North United Methodist Church in Evansville, Indiana. He was the first black pastor to ever be appointed to a white church in Southern Indiana. His predecessor was Chuck Armstrong, who did his very best to prepare the congregation for his appointment. The staff parish committee voted five to two to receive him as their pastor. But even before he started his ministry, Bishop Hodap had to meet with 100 members who opposed that appointment at Old North. I communicated with a colleague this week who happened to be serving another United Methodist Church at Evansville at that time, and he recalled eating in a restaurant in January of 1986, and he overheard a conversation at the table next to him who had just come off the golf course. They were talking loudly about that inward pastor that had been sent to Old North, and while they weren't going to have any inward marrying their children or baptizing their grandchildren, Phil finished his meal, and he went to the table, and he said to those men at that table, I overheard your conversation, and I want you to know that Hutch is one of the finest people I've ever known, 
and he hoped that he, they would give him a chance. Well, Phil didn't think his words made much difference, and he believes that somewhere between 150 and 200 persons left that Old North Church within the first year of Hutch's ministry. Uh, he believed his ministry only lasted a couple of years. And I remember the result of our annual conference. It felt so burned by that experience that it was years, maybe even a full decade, before another cross-racial appointment was made. Now, I contrast that to my experience. And I recall how I have been received graciously into every church I was appointed to. Because I was a white male, my career has been a blessing wherever I went. And Hutch, who was as fine a man and pastor as you'll ever meet, he was certainly a better preacher than me, is a clear example of the privilege I experienced over any person of color who was in ministry in Indiana at that time. And probably you could say that continues. Now, you might say that was 35 years ago, and certainly things are better than it was then. But white male privilege is still very much alive in our Indiana conference. Just ask Pastor Jill. I would hope if someone like Hutch was appointed to Noblesville first that he would experience a better reception. I imagine many of you are ready to say, bring him or her on. But if we're honest, can't we all think of people who would never darken the doors again if that happened? I now understanding that admitting I've benefited from white privilege does not say anything about me personally, but it acknowledges that I benefited from biases that have given me a leg up on most persons of color in most situations through the years. And acknowledging that enables me to consider what am I going to do to impact the inequities that are still present in our world. Like Ezra and Daniel, I am now willing to confess that and allow it to motivate me to understand racism more thoroughly and to seek out where God might want, want me to work to impact the inequities that still exist. We want to take a moment to lift up our stewardship moment today and celebrate the many ways that you all continue to give and to make ministry happen here in Noblesville. Today we lift up our Teeter Farm to Table Dinner and to offer you a few numbers of celebration as we continue our, our farm ministry. $14,050 was raised from the dinner and it was a net total of $10,061. And we celebrate that $2,045 was raised from the ask to fund a walk behind tractor and we will be continuing to ask for money for the walk behind tractor that's our priority and we have less than seven thousand dollars to go we celebrate that the tags for prevail that went to helping children for the winter season all tags were collected and we thank you for your support and that and remind you that items must be returned by september the 21st thank you for doing your part to help children in our community and as always there are opportunities to serve here at church and beyond Gary Bartunik is needing help turning rooms at Teeter, so if you're interested in working more indoors and helping clean to prepare our lodges for guests, please email the church or call the church office and we will get you connected. We remind you that there's a full list of opportunities to serve at noblesvillefirst.com or if you have the church app, make sure to sign into that and see what we have as far as ministry opportunities for you. 
And today we give thanks for the many ways that we are able to give, whether it's financially or your prayers, your presence and worship, or the ways that we love and serve with our hands and feet. So we take a moment to pray a blessing over the gifts that we've received and invite you to continue to discern the ways that you might give. Let us pray. God of abundance, receive these gifts with thanks from your people, we pray. May they and we help your love and grace flow like rivers in deserts of need. Amen. Oh
morning. Welcome again to Noblesville First. I'm Matt Hantelman, one of the pastors here at Noblesville First, and I'm glad you've joined us this morning. Community confession can be a strange idea to us today, especially considering as a society we rarely want to take ownership of our own faults and failures, let alone those of our whole culture or our ancestors. But the example of community confession is laid out in multiple places in scripture, as Jerry shared. And I believe there is still something in that that can happen today. Because there are many sins of the Christian church, not only throughout history, but even going on today. And like last week, there are many times when we need to recognize that we might not actually have an accurate history that we think we do when it comes to the atrocities that even the church has carried out. Talking with my wife about this, she remembered a story from an older book by Donald Miller, one of the early members of the emergent church movement. That book was Blue Like Jazz, and in it, Miller tells us a story about being at Reed University, considered one of the most liberal universities, at least at that time, and Renfair, an all-campus party where campus security kept away the police and all manner of debauchery would take place. During this time, Miller and his underground group of Christian friends set up a confessional booth with a big sign that read, Confess Your Sins. They had a shack with a Two sections split for the person confessing and the person hearing. And when someone came in, they had a conversation about what was about to happen. The participant was shocked to find out that he wasn't supposed to confess, but listened to Miller's confession of what the church had done and what he had done to drive people away. After he realized that Miller was serious, the tone changed. And Miller said this, There's a lot. I will keep it short, I started. Jesus said to feed the poor and to heal the sick. I've never done very much about that. Jesus said to love those who persecute me. I tend to lash out, especially if I feel threatened, you know, if my ego gets threatened. Jesus did not mix his spirituality with politics, and I grew up doing that. It got in the way of the central message of Christ. I know that was wrong, and I know a lot of people will not listen to the words of Christ because people like me, who know him, carry out our own agendas into the conversation rather than just relaying the message Christ wanted to get across. And there's a lot more, you know. After that, they had a short conversation where the participant actually said he forgave Miller. And Miller feebly asked, have we hurt a lot of people? I invite you to grab the book if you're interested in the rest of the story. The point here is we here and the church in general are a part of a history and a now that has not actually held to the standard Jesus gave us. 
At Thursday Worship, when we talked about this, there was some discussion as to whether it is our job to take ownership and apologize for the things that we didn't take part in. When it comes to the message of Christ, should we apologize or simply try to distance ourselves and Christ from people who share a message that doesn't line up with how we believe Christ would want us to act? To answer that question, I invite you to put yourself in that confessional booth as Miller. The participant on the other side seems to seems receptive to your confession, but is still struggling with things happening around us that seem to fly in the face in the, of the love and humility you're trying to present. Well, what about the Catholic Church and them trying to cover up the things those priests did, or the Westboro Baptist Church and all their hate, he asks you. And you have two options. You have more than two options. We're keeping this simple. You can distance yourself and Jesus from those groups the best you can. Oh, we're not like them, or those people don't really follow Jesus, or that's not the God that I know. Or you can take an approach that recognizes the hurt that Christians have caused or are causing by not presenting the message of Christ. You might say, you're right. Those things are wrong. And I'm sorry that God has been represented that way in the world. I hope you don't allow the failings of me and other Christians to stop you from seeing a God who loves you. And it was brought to my attention that through these times, through these talks of racial reconciliation and book discussions, that even I have allowed myself to become less than understanding of others who do not see things the way that I do. And so I confess to you that I've allowed my pursuit of racial reconciliation to set my expectations of everyone around me unfairly. I confess to you that I struggle to not think lesser of people who have not progressed as far as I have. And there are certainly things that the church has done that need confessing as well when it comes to our own treatment of other races and ethnic groups. This is in no way an exhaustive list. And I recognize that everyone might have a different list. If there were other priests and scribes with Ezra, they may have confessed differently than Ezra did. But this is my confession for the white church today. I confess on behalf of the white church that said God was behind us when we chose to slaughter and indoctrinate the native peoples of the Americas. I confess on behalf of the white church that we used the scripture to justify enslaving and beating and raping our black brothers and sisters. I confess on behalf of the white church that we have desired recognition for the little work we have done 
without the desire to complete the real difficult work that needs to be done. I confess on behalf of the white church that we have been more concerned with recognizing what progress has already been made rather than moving further forward. I confess on behalf of the white church that we become indignant when our faults are pointed out to us and we become more concerned with explaining why we aren't wrong than recognizing our own culpability. I confess on behalf of the white church that we have allowed our history to be rewritten to whitewash the atrocities carried out in the name of God. And I confess on behalf of the white church that we have suggested that Jesus would in any way go along with our racism. Any reconciliation, whether racial or familial or spousal or spiritual or whatever, starts with recognizing what caused the split in the first place. My hope is that you will take some time this week to recognize what, has, what is causing the need for reconciliation between people who are white and people of color. this week. We remind you that online worship is always available at 9.30 or join us for teeter worship at 8.15 or 10 o'clock through October the 4th. First Friday luncheon will be October the 2nd with a carry-out lunch made by Chef Mike Cowart featuring his famous lasagna. Pastor Paul Ernst will emcee a recorded program featuring Bruce McMahonan, Devin Don Smith and Tom Wissies, which will be linked to our Noblesville First website. Each lunch reservation will be entered into a drawing for a $25 gift certificate door prize, which will be announced at the end of the online program presentation. We invite you to indoor worship beginning October the 11th. Worship at Teeter will continue through the 4th. Times indoors will be 8.30 and 11 o'clock in the sanctuary. We're working on a family worship option as well. More details are to follow. We celebrate that the Crop Walk team has exceeded our $7,000 goal, and we thank you for your support. But if you still want to feed hungry people in Hamilton County and around the world, then go to the Crop Walk and sign up as a virtual walker or donate. Our Be the Bridge discussions continue with book discussions. The first one is Monday, 
at noon with Pastor Jill Moffitt. Join us via Zoom. Wednesday at 9 o'clock p.m. with Norm Williams via Zoom. Thursday at 6.30 p.m. with Pastor Mary Eileen in the parlor. And we also invite you to partake in The Vineyard, a new way to connect our church during the pandemic and beyond. We're holding our next development meeting on Monday, September 28th at 7 o'clock via Zoom. If you're interested in helping us launch this new concept or might be interested in learning what might be involved in being a branch facilitator, please join us. Send an email to jrairdon at noblesvillefirst.com or care at noblesvillefirst.com and we will send you a Zoom invite to attend. We now invite you to go, ready to do the work of identifying the chasm between us, lamenting what has caused it, confessing what has caused it, and working towards reconciliation.